0: Welcome back, y'all. This week is all about learning about the relationship between economic inequality and the criminal justice system, and how these issues more disparately impact people of color. So to begin this week, I want to reiterate that you definitely should and need to watch the video about wealth inequality to help put a visual on what we're talking about and the visual should be pretty astounding to you and i hope you learn a lot from it honestly it tends to be one of the biggest takeaways of the week and is knowledge that i'm happy to see prior students always continually sharing um, with their own families and friends so i know you're here to learn but i hope it doesn't stop with you educate those around you too okay so first what is economic inequality it's basically the gap between rich and poor and then how do we measure it Typically, we measure this through income, through wealth, through unemployment, and through poverty status. So we'll talk about each of those shortly. So those first two, income and wealth distribution in this country, what do we know about that? Well, we know that they don't look very equitable. So when it comes to income, and that's typically your yearly earnings, we find a wide gap. And so, according to the 2019 household income data, the average household income was a high of roughly $87,000 for Asians, next was Whites with roughly $70,000, then Hispanics with roughly $50,000, and at the bottom is African Americans with roughly $40,000. And remember, that's household income, and the household likely has multiple members. In addition to income, we also look to wealth to understand economic disparities. And when we look here, the gap is even wider. Wealth is the combination of all assets that one or a family that that they have, including things like their house, stocks, cars, Anything with tangible value, really. And according to 2019 wealth data, Asian households have approximately $156,000 in wealth. Whites have about $140,000. And then Hispanics only have about $20,000. And African-Americans only have a staggering $12,000 holy cow, this is extremely different along racial lines. I mean, by goodness, this shows that white families have about 13 times as much wealth than African-American families, and so what accounts for this? Well, think to history. We have those groups in the lower half that weren't even allowed to own homes for quite some time. And even when they were, we imposed redlining in many minority neighborhoods to essentially continue to disallow them from upward mobility that we associate with homeownership. And it's a sad state of affairs, but the reality is that African Americans, and by and large Hispanics too, were systematically oppressed and not allowed to access wealth historically. And so the issue is a collateral damage that then continues today. And so to put this in perspective, white families have not experienced those same issues and were able to hand down their generation, generational wealth generation after generation. And for those who understand computational math, you can see why then white wealth continues to grow. And again, African American and Hispanic families weren't afforded the same even playing field, so they've had very little time to even start building the wealth. So I hope that makes sense and puts that in perspective. Moving along, this all comes back to categorizing people in classes, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. And again, watch the video to learn more about whether or not these are really even the right categories, but I digress. So income and wealth typically dictate social class. And while most of this country are either poor or middle class, there are very few that are in the actual upper class. Remember in the video, you learned that the top 1% has about 40% of the wealth, and the top 10% have 90% of the wealth. But interesting, they tend to fight from within those two classes of poor and middle class. And the poor tend to blame the middle class for their problems, and the middle class blames the poor for their circumstances. However, Almost all will stay within the social class that they're born into. So while we like to tell people to pull up their bootstraps to get a job and work their way to the next class, the odds of it actually happening are very slim. So if someone grows up poor, the odds are unfortunately not in their favor to jump classes. Some may, but they will be an anomaly. And going back to class blaming, it's interesting too that just about everyone faces a fair amount of blame, or puts a fair amount of blame on the lower class. Even those in the lower class blame their own class for their poverty. And interestingly, the rich seem to remain out of the fight. Okay, so what about poverty status? What does it mean to be impoverished? So we tend to associate this with a lack of means to be to meet basic necessities. So not having access to things like food or shelter, etc. But it is much more than that. Being impoverished may mean more systematic marginalization too. So lack of access to good education, more criminality in your own neighborhood, leading to higher rates of, rates of personal Think back to content. We're in those neighborhoods too. And when it comes to what this means financially, there are some numbers that can help guide us, but they should shock you. First, the federal minimum wage has remained unchanged since 2009, and it's a mere $7.25 per hour. Yes, it's higher in California, but a lot of states operate off of that federal minimum wage. And at $7.25 at a full time, 40 hour per week job, that would only land you about $14,500 per year. That's not much. And to put this into further perspective, the federal poverty level is currently $26,200 for a family of four as of 2019. So $26,200. Could you live with a family of four on that? Even in California, the poverty level is only at about the $35,000 for a family of four range. So that's rough. But these numbers are important to keep in mind as when we reference the data about how many people live below the poverty line, Those are the lines that I'm talking about, that $26,200 at the federal level. And again, for California's data, they rounded out at about 35,000. And below that is poverty and above means you're not below that poverty line. And so in the U.S., nearly 38 million people are considered poor. So that's about 12% of the population and nearly one out of every eight Americans lives below the poverty line. Wow. That's staggering for a country that's the richest in the world. And who is it that's impoverished? Well, minorities are much more likely to be impoverished. While 12% of the population as a whole are impacted, only about 10% of whites are living in poverty, while over 20% of African-Americans are and nearly 18% of Hispanics. In conjunction with this, we also look to unemployment data to gauge economic inequality. And consistently through the years, we find that the African-American unemployment rate is generally double that of whites. For example, our recent unemployment rates before COVID 19 were quite low at about 3%, but for African-Americans, that rate was 6%. And in 2010, when we were still in a recession, unemployment rates were about 8% for whites, yet upwards of 16% for African-Americans. And place matters too. In the peak of the recession, areas like Stockton and Oakland had unemployment rates reaching at least 20% with most of their African-American populations unemployed. So, taken together, what does this tell us? It tells us that everyone is not treated equally when it comes to economic prosperity in this country, and that those most impacted are typically minority citizens. And all of this relates to our criminal justice system because poverty is intrinsically interrelated to criminal behavior. So, next week we'll continue on with some of the content for Chapter 3 and really dig in to the theoretical reasons for crime and how poverty might play a role there. All right, until next time.